This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. This next story sounds like something out of a thriller rather than a courthouse where the story emerged last week. The allegation is that Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, sent a hit squad to Canada targeting a former Saudi intelligence czar who is a permanent residence here. Now, the team was discovered trying to enter Canada and turned back. And this apparently happened only about two weeks after the grisly murder of Jamal Khashoggi at the Saudi embassy in Istanbul. So the intended victim is allegedly Saad al-Jabri, who is the former top counterintelligence chief under the deposed crown prince, Mohammed bin Nayef, who was ousted by MBS in 2017. Now, he is said to be under heightened security watch here in Canada because there's a continuing threat by Saudi agents. Okay, have you uh, followed the dots on that? It sounds pretty complicated. And uh, as I said, wow, uh, it sounds like something that you would be more likely uh, to watch in the evening than something that might be happening under our noses here. Uh, so now I am joined by Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consultants, Dr. Christian Luprecht, a professor of political science at the Royal Military College of Canada and senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute, and Ross McLean, a security and terrorism expert. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Lee. It'll be good to be here on this uh, on this thriller. Okay, yes, and uh, uh, so uh, Phil, let's start with you. Um, what did you think when you saw this uh, coming out of a, a civil lawsuit filed in an American court? Well, um, first of all, Libby, I wasn't surprised at all. As you mentioned, they did this to poor Jamal Khashoggi in Istanbul back in 2018. They killed him and dismembered him. The fact that they would go after a, a similar dissident in Canada is in keeping with MBS's uh, way of doing governance, a way of silencing critics. And by the way, you know, there are allegations in court, and it hasn't been proven, obviously, in a, in a U.S. court, but I know, happen to know for a fact, based on the sources I've talked to, this is actually true. This isn't an allegation uh, to me. This is actually, actually going to happen. And thankfully, due to either intelligence and or what Canada Border Services had, they returned back at the border because had they gotten through, Mr. El Jabri could have suffered the same fate as Mr. Khashoggi. Uh, that's just the way that, like I said, this is what MBS does to people with whom he disagrees. He kills them. Okay. Um, so you seem pretty sure about that. I have to say the one part of the story that I did not buy was that uh, our border agents just caught them in a lie or they were trying to get in and say they didn't know each other through separate kiosks. Uh, my bet would be was that they, they were tipped off and possibly tipped off by the intended victim himself, Ross. 
was the part that was just a little bit too nice, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. we all, we've all we've all gone through the border and gone through those tricky questions at the automatic kiosk, and it yeah. says, you know, are you here to murder somebody, or uh, you know, what, <laughs> yeah. what are you what are you here for? And they managed to magically put together that these, uh, you know, this team uh, was here to do something wrong. So yeah, something sounded a bit off about that as to why they why they weren't allowed in. Uh, so, uh, you know, Ross, what do you make of this whole story? Well, unfortunately for me, I'll t- I tell you what I don't uh, like about it. One of the things it certainly exposes is there are a lot of bad governments around the world, and it's not just restricted to Saudi Arabia. There's a lot of governments that live by terrorizing, killing, torturing uh, their citizens. There's a whole whack of them. You know, Iran's the same way and, and a few other places. They're just horrific and they're abuses to people if they don't fall into political line. And what is interesting to me that's been coming out is how this guy uh, managed to get in and get his resident status right away when he was fleeing from Saudi Arabia. If he came over here as a refugee or now he's got resident status. And there's also other things like that funny little story of what was it, the African warlord or something that just got murdered in London, Ontario. Um, a little while ago. It seems we've got some interesting people come into Canada when they have to flee uh, some of these countries, and a lot of the times their problems follow them here. Okay, well, you know, it's interesting. Again, you anticipated my next question for Christian, and that is, you've got to imagine if this guy was the previous holder of that job under another prince, uh, you know, perhaps uh, his his hands are not lily white either, and uh, I am assuming that the reason he got in so quickly is that he offered up something that our government wants, some kind of intelligence about what's going on there, even though presumably now that another guy is in, he's, uh, he, he is not still in the loop. Uh, Christian Luprecht, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, so look, Saudi Arabia is uh, quintessentially an absolute monarchy. And so the intelligence she's sent to have a very personal synergistic relationship with the ruler. And so when the ruler changes that uh, inherently, you know, the intelligence chiefs quite literally know where the bodies are buried. Uh, so that then poses a risk uh, for the community. And I think he saw the writing on the wall. The Saudis have long had a rather close intelligence relationship with U.S. intelligence services. Um, and so he quietly, I think, ferried himself uh, out of harm's way, but then realized that he wasn't going to be able to um, simply go underground and live peacefully ever after, uh, that the Saudis were going to come after him and they were going to try to track him down and take him out. And so I think that's what uh, precipitated him speaking out publicly. It's also what precipitated likely the United States moving him to Canada, like it was Canada knowing that he enjoyed a certain degree of protection uh, from the United States. Oh, just just a minute. I, I missed that part. He was in the United States and you're saying the United States moved him here to Canada. I, I did not see that in anything that I read. Well, it would appear, look, he picked up, uh, he was originally in Boston, and he picked up uh, rather quickly with his family and uh, moved to Canada, and then, as Ross pointed out, received uh, legal status in Canada rather quickly. So this suggests to me that uh, perhaps 
uh, there was a broader sort of cooperation among intelligence agencies here and also an effort to protect him. Um, inherently, you'd be able to protect him more likely better in Canada than you would in the U.S. since Canada has fewer direct ties with the Saudis. And if the Saudis are traveling the world uh, with Tiger hit teams, uh, then you might be able to shield him better here. But I think the effort to speak out publicly is essentially it's a, it's a survival strategy. Um, and it's, I think, his him putting MSB on notice that uh, the more you try to come after me, uh, the more public I'm going to be about your particular actions. And, of course, one easy way for him to reveal what the Saudis are up to uh, is in a civil suit that uh, would require a fairly extensive disclosure of evidence about Saudi activities. Uh, so I think there's probably a, a bigger g- intelligence game being played here than uh, we notice on the surface. Okay, and Phil, do you agree that this whole because it's it's pretty strange that this comes out in a civil lawsuit? I, I, uh, if if any of you know what uh, what they are actually going for in terms of damages, but is that really just to get to get the story out in public, uh, and uh, he would find that protective? Is that uh, do you agree with that, Phil? Uh, it's hard to say. So, so for, I'm going to push back to some, some of what Christian said. Uh, for the record, I know Dr. El Jabri. I met him several times in Riyadh when I was with thesis. He was a friend of Canadian intelligence. There's no question about that. I would have thought that one of the reasons why I moved to Canada was because Donald Trump is an ally of MBS, and Donald Trump speaks very highly of MBS. And I'd be very surprised if the Trump administration would push back against it, of what MBS is doing to dissidents abroad. In terms of why Dr. El Jabri decided to do this, it, it is a, it's a risky move. It get, gets them a little more attention. You would think that maybe you'd want to, kind of, as Christian said, go to ground and kind of you know, lay low for a while. But I guess maybe this is the way to illustrate to the world what's actually happening in Saudi Arabia. MBS is seen as this great savior to bring Saudi, you know, from the 7th century into the 21st century. And there's a man who kills people with whom he disagrees. And I think that the, the public exposure and the light shed on this is actually a good thing. Uh, Phil, uh, let me ask you this. Since you met the man, do you think that uh, uh, his, the modus operandi under the previous crown prince was that much different from what it is today? Look, counterterrorism is a nasty business. We had a, you know, an allegation recently from a court here in Canada that CSIS uses sources that are not ice cream. Now, you know, CSIS doesn't use Mother Teresa to infiltrate you know, terror cells. Well, go figure. That's, yeah. that's late-breaking news. Um, it is it is a dirty business, and you have to do some pretty nasty things. Now, I'm not going to go to the wall for Saudi Arabia. I'm not a fan of Saudi Arabia. But I do think that um, Dr. Al-Jabi obviously does have some skeletons. And, and I think that the biggest reason why he's being targeted is not so much he knows where all the bodies are buried, but he has information on MBS that MBS doesn't want to be made public. MBS wants to portray himself as this great savior of the Saudi people. And he's not, in my, in my impression. And this is why Dr. Al-Jabi is being targeted. Well, uh, you know, if MBS did have a reputation or an aura of being progressive in, in certain ways, I, I think that uh, after that whole Jamal Khashoggi uh, saga, I don't know. I, I don't know how much of that he might even think he has left, Ross. Yeah, you know, something else that I find quite interesting is uh, when this guy escaped and, and he came here, I'll, I'll note that it says he's been having protection, having private security protect him. Not well, it said public. private and public. That's what I read. Okay, I just saw private. I didn't see the public. Let's say we've got some of that in there. It'd be interesting to see how much it costs, because I will tell you, if you're somebody who ran off, you must have come here with a fair bit of money, because to pay for the sort of security you need, if you've got uh, Tiger assassin teams coming after you, 
that costs millions of dollars a year to have decent security around that's going to protect you for that. So uh, that's interesting as to how much money he maybe left Saudi Arabia with. Um, how to get that money. But I, I'm just, I mean, definitely what we saw in some of the reports that we read and uh, is that RCMP is, is uh, protecting him as well, which means, uh, you know, it's on our dime. Well, that's, uh, that's another interesting issue then. As you said, what sort of guy is this guy that we should be spending our money to uh, protect him? It seems that Canada is a place that people like to flee to if they've been involved in, uh, let's say, terror-type activities before. We've got a lot of them seemingly living here. Uh, Christian, uh, do you agree with Ross on that? Yeah, and I think the takeaway here is that regimes are, um, that Canada is not immune from the efforts by regimes around the world to take out um, former senior uh, intelligence or other senior government officials. I mean, the Russians, as we know, are active in this, the North Koreans are active in this, and the Saudis are active in this. And I think there needs to be a limit on the one hand uh, with regards to global norms of making it clear that this is simply not on. Uh, and that you simply can't violate uh, a sovereign country's territory, such as Canada, um, who ostensibly is to some extent a partner with Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia, I mean, not to in any ways apologize for the regime, but it's a difficult part of the world uh, that the Saudis find themselves in. But that in no way um, excuses uh, their uh, methods for uh, allegedly engaging in extra uh, uh, judicial and extraterritorial uh, execution of former um, enemies uh, or of presumably people they now consider to be uh, enemies of the regime. And so Canadians need to be cognizant of the fact that uh, is our security posture and our intelligence posture uh, sufficiently calibrated to this new reality of a globalized intelligence world where even our partners will try to make attempts to uh, to violate our sovereignty. And I think Canada needs to, uh, and then turning back uh, this uh, this hit team, uh, Canada, I think, clearly sent a message to the Saudis uh, that uh, this is not acceptable. They could have gone further. They could have tried to prosecute them, for instance. They could have made it public at the time. Uh, but clearly, they didn't want to make this uh, a big public deal, at least certainly not uh, not at the time. Okay, everybody, please hang on. We've got to take another break. And audience, do you have anything to say about this? Does it seem to you that maybe we gave this guy and his family a permanent residency a little too quickly? He does, by the way, have at least one uh, one child uh, still in Saudi Arabia. So are we too easy of a target for a regime like this to just send a hit squad? I mean, uh, for one thing, we were selling arms to Saudi Arabia. It was a big scandal, and, and the prime minister didn't want to back down on that. I mean, what should Canada be doing to show that, hey, uh, don't do this on our soil? What, what, what is the consequence, Phil Gursky? I don't know. Um, the, the Trudeau government seems to have been rather reticent in the wake of this news. There was, I mean, Bill Blair, the public safety minister, made some kind of announcement, but Maybe there's a lot going on, you know, behind the scenes diplomatically. Um, relations have not been good with Saudi Arabia since Christian Freeland called upon them to respect human rights. But as you say, there's the uh, the LAV contract with General Dynamics out of London, Ontario, to sell them vehicles. So I'm thinking maybe the government sees dollar signs in its eyes and doesn't want to jeopardize that that deal, which you know creates a lot of jobs in southwestern Ontario. But the bottom line is, and think of what Christian said, that this is simply unacceptable behavior. You can't send people to a sovereign country and kill someone, regardless of who it is. And, you know, for us in Canada, not to, this should, this should be a lot bigger story than it is. 
And it kind of surprises me that it's not. But as to what the Trudeau government's going to do, Libby, um, if you if I had the answer to that, I'd be a, I'd be a millionaire in it right now. I just don't see a lot of desire on their part to to make too much of this. Again, unless a lot's happening behind the scenes, which you or I or no one else has access. Well, are are you saying that they should be making a big? Uh, uh, they should they should the government should be going very hard and very public on this. Is that what you're saying? Well, there's there's trade offs to that too, right? I, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that there's a pattern here with Saudi Arabia, and it's not going to stop just because 15 people were turned back on the Canadian border. They killed Khashoggi. I'd be very surprised if they're not planning similar operations in other countries. What I'm advocating is that we talk to our allies. There's some kind of concerted effort to put pressure on the Saudis to say, you will stop and desist this kind of behavior. This is not what civilized nations do in the 21st century. But at the same time, you know, it's kind of like the two Michaels in China, right? How much public diplomacy, how much private diplomacy, it's a delicate dance at the best of times. I don't know. Uh, you're saying civilized countries. So, uh, you know, there's a caveat there. Ross McLean, what do you think our government should or shouldn't be doing? And should we suspend that contract? Well, Phil raised some excellent points there. I, I myself am quite bothered at Canada's lack of standing up to all sorts of uh, terrible atrocities around the world. Phil just uh, laid out a few of them. You know, you're right. We should perhaps have someone coming out and making a statement saying you shouldn't be disrespecting our sovereignty like that. The same with our two Michaels that are being held. The same with the arrest that just took place in Hong Kong yesterday of one of the top uh, freedom people over there. We're not saying anything. Jack Lai, yeah. Yeah, you know, at best what we see, Libby, is we'll get a, a tweet put out by Freelander, someone that says, we're very, uh, we're very frowning upon this activity or some, or some weak ass, you know, <laughs> such words as that. They don't really exactly stand up and say, this is what we stand for. And, uh, you know, I think Canada is a soft target. We've got lots of international crime and terrorism operating here. You know, something that maybe we'll get a chance to get into another time. We've got Hezbollah operating in this country. We just had that big bomb blow up in Beirut. I was going to bring that up. I'm interrupting you. We don't have too much time left, but... but, on the weekend, I read reports in the Israeli press that it was Hezbollah that wanted that stockpile uh, there so they would have it for the so-called next war against Israel. They control the port in Beirut, and they have been caught with very similar explosives in Germany and other European countries. Uh, uh, should we spend the last few minutes on that, or should we uh, close the loop on the Saudis? Uh, Phil, do you have an opinion on that? Uh, with respect to Lebanon, I mean, uh, I've already done pieces on this. So far, it does look like incompetence and negligence on the part of the Lebanese government in terms of storing that amount of ammonium nitrate. I mean, I, I point out it's a thousand times greater than the Oklahoma City bombing of, 12, of 95. Whether There's no evidence that I've seen that was a deliberate act. Maybe Ross is correct. Maybe it was Hezbollah storing it. It doesn't matter who stored it. It should have been stored in such a way that it wasn't, you know, liable to, to, to explode. Um, that's a whole other issue. But to me, just getting back to this, is this, this Saudi thing should have more attention than it's getting. And I'm frankly a little bit surprised that we're not, it's kind of died on, it died on the, on the letterhead of like over the weekend. I'm kind of surprised about that. Mm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, Christian, do you think it's died and it should be getting more attention? So I think what we can, there's a link between the two stories here. And that's, of course, the Hezbollah in many ways is the quintessential global terrorist organization. They have a global fundraising network, a network that is also active and known to be active in Canada. Um, and so we have both non-state actors and state actors uh, acting on Canadian territory against Canadian interests. And we need to ask ourselves, 
questions about why is it that our security intelligence service uh, has not been able to be more active and aggressive at containing these moves, and why is it that our federal police force has not had the capability and has not had the intuition to actually prosecute these types of activities. And I would say we have a rather homeopathic intelligence security posture in this country that is not well adapted to the challenges of a globalized world in the 21st century and the threats that we as Canadians face from other state and non-state actors. Okay, is, is, is that the problem then, that we just don't have the capability, Phil? Uh, it's completely incorrect. Christian, Christian is completely wrong in this regard. The problem isn't with CISAs and RCMP. There are competent agencies that collect intelligence, collect evidence. The problem is with the government that seek, seeks to prosecute or not to prosecute. I can tell you categorically, you know, I'm 30 years in intelligence. We, you know, we're, we advise. Intelligencers are advisory bodies. They provide the government with intelligence, and the government can choose to act or not act upon it. You know, back to the whole Saudi thing. Is, is the lab deal coloring what the Trudeau government wants to do with this? Possibly. So it's not the intelligence services problem. They, they've got the, the capability. They don't have resources. They always need more resources. But it's not that they're incompetent. The problem is that governments choose not to act on intelligence that they're given. That, that's, where they're, that's where the blame lies, not with the intelligence services. But wait a minute. Um, wouldn't it be the RCMP making an independent decision on this, Ross? I don't know about. I, I, I want to just expand a little bit on what Phil had said there. Don't forget, we had SNC-Lavalin courting Gaddafi's kid across this country. He had a condominium here in downtown Toronto, and they were buying him hookers and boats and all sorts of stuff, uh, you know, just uh, back and forth across the country. So, yeah, the question I think might be, I mean, I honestly have questions as to what the RCMP, when they choose to prosecute and, and when they don't. I don't, I don't see them being aggressive in prosecution, and is that because they feel they shouldn't, or is it because of the government? I, I, I can't say, but I'm, I'm, I'm leaning toward it's the government. Okay, but what are, what are the lines there? Because, you know, in, there are so many cases when, when you, you know, anybody in government says, you know, it's not, we don't tell the police or the RCMP what to do, that they are independent. No, but what's, what, what's important here, sorry, Ross, is that you only go to court with cases you think you're going to win. The Crown doesn't go to court wanting to lose. So if you don't feel the case is strong enough for whatever reason, they're not going to go to that length. They want they want a, a case that's 99.9% successful. That's when you decide to go to court. And that's obviously there are government implications. That, and you are yet, yet the RCMP is independent. Absolutely. But, you know, it's a lot of nudge, nudge, wink, wink, I think, goes on as well. And uh, you can't prosecute everything. You don't have the resources to prosecute everything. So you go with the, the case that has the greatest chance of success. That's the way it works in Canada. Well, yeah, and it's the prosecutors that decide to prosecute, right? Absolutely, right. absolutely. Yeah. If the police yeah. want to come and say we want to prosecute this, this is a horrible guy, they can turn around and say, "No, we're not doing it." Exactly. That that's that's the way the system works in Canada, Ross. Well, it's also in this case, who would they prosecute if those? I mean, it would have been the guys that were here if they arrested them at the airport or wherever it is that they came in. Well, interestingly, the Americans have actually they want MBS. The Americans have cited they want MBS to come and, and to say what the hell is going on. Now, the chances of doing that are none. But I found it interesting that in this court case in Washington, they actually spelled out categorically. He's the guy that probably issued the orders. He's the one who has to own up to this. He's the guy who has to answer the questions. I don't All think right. he'll do that. Good luck with that. Had the, the court had the gumption to actually order him to appear. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> as as though that is going to happen. Uh, so uh, basically, where are we at on this, Phil? I know you say you think it should be getting a lot more attention than it has been. 
I, I do, but again, I, I see both sides of this, Libby. I see the danger to Dr. Al Jabri. Uh, I see that there, you know, again, I, I wasn't, I didn't fall for turnip truck yesterday. I know that there are diplomatic issues here. There are bilateral relations here. There are multilateral regional relations that have to. It, it's a complicated game. It's never easy, but it seems to me that this is an egregious um, illegal act in international law, and for it, it's sort of just kind of fritter away. I, I'm a little bit bothered by that. I, I think more should be done, but. I'm hoping that there's adults in the room that are going to figure this thing out and make the right decision because uh, it is a tough one. I'm not saying it's easy, but I just think that we can't let it go because this is really, really, this is bad. And we can't simply, you know, turn the corner and say, okay, let's go back to, to you know, the anti-correlation or anti-status correlations. We can't do that. Okay. Christian, 20 seconds. Uh, we have United Front Activities by China. We have various other intelligence agencies active in Canada, and we need to be much more aggressive at detecting them, disrupting them, and also being able to show our adversaries that we are able to prosecute and uh, that we will make these cases public as a way of deterring other countries from violating our sovereignty. Ross? MBS has a lot of money in the United States, including, I believe, part ownership of Twitter. And if this guy wins in civil court for his money, the U.S. will be able to get it for him. So maybe that'll be uh, maybe it'll be the trial of the century coming up if we start having that one. Okay, (laughs) very interesting case. And thank you so much, Christian Luprecht, Phil Gursky and Ross McLean. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Thanks, Libby. Okay, take care, everybody. That is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.